Third down and four for Vince Young at the 11. They're two of nine on conversions. Here's the handoff to Chris Johnson. Johnson hurt away. Watch out. Johnson. Again. Cuts it back. Touchdown, Tennessee. What is up, Football Nation? Welcome to the 10th episode of the Football Nation Presents, the Sportscasters Podcast. It is June 5th, 2012, here in beautiful Buffalo, New York. We are less than 100 days Still the off season. away from the <laughs> football season. That's right. And you know, I should, a little bit of, we'll pull back the curtain here a little bit. So we always open up with a highlight. Yeah. And Don's like, so what should we do? And, and since our guest today is the AFC South blogger, so well, let's just get an AFC South highlight. And I said, you know, the first AFC highlight that comes to mind is the Music City Miracle. And for reasons, if you listen to the first two or three of the first ten episodes of the <laughs> show, you know that we weren't necessarily anxious to play that. I, I'm not a Bills fan, but that is, and we have many family members who that that's very painful for. I'd be interesting to hear though. Uh, either leave comments on there or send us an email. Is there a better? AFC South, like defining highlight, because Tennessee doesn't go on to win that Super Bowl. No, nope. uh, Indy did win a Super Bowl, but it was relatively under control for the whole game. I would say. I mean, it was close in the first half, kinda, but uh, there was never really in. It wasn't like the Saints Super Bowl where one play turned the game around, and you can look at that play. So what? What's a bigger AFC South? Houston probably has nothing. They made the playoffs for the first time ever last year. Yeah, the biggest AFC South, I guess, moment. What is the biggest moment in AFC South division history? And you can't say it's something Does that happened. Have? Yeah, we two or something. It, it can't be something that happened before there was an AFC South either. You know, like something <laughs> that happened in Houston, right? You know, or something like that. But. I, I I'd be I think you'd be hard pressed to come up with something better than Music City Miracle, but if you can email us at sportscasters at gmail dot com or you can comment right on this uh I guess article you would call it. Uh but welcome, as I said, to episode ten. Uh Paul Kuharski of ESPN dot com, the AFC South blogger is our guest today. So we're gonna talk AFC South football. We're gonna find out what's going on with the Jags, Colts, Titans, and Texans. Uh, also, we're going to do three things, and then we're going to end the show as we normally do, uh, kind of looking at some of the articles at footballnation.com and kind of what we're reading this week. want to remind you to check out our other podcast, www.sports-casters.com. Uh, this week, we have episode number 22 of season two of that podcast, features interviews with Jeff Perlman, the author of Sweetness, maybe one of the best uh, football sports books I've ever read. Also, Albert Chen chats baseball with us, and Matt Wright's one of the members of the LA Kings blogosphere, if there is such a thing, talks to us about the Los Angeles Kings and their one win away from the Stanley Cup. Uh, FootballNation.com hosts this podcast last week. We had Andrew Lawrence talk to us about some of the mental uh, the mental strain that football can have uh, on the player, and we got some great feedback about that, so we appreciate that. But before we can talk to Paul... He's going to chat with us about AFC South football. We have to do three things. Let's play a game. All right. Mm-hmm. Count of three. One. All righty. I'll take it off. 
to. The oil patterns on a PBA lane are very, very difficult. I might be able to beat Jamarcus Russell at quarterback. <laughs> this is the funnest night ever! <laughs> Did we just become best friends? Yep! Now let's move on to other business. So if you want to get a Bills fan angry, uh, one way to do it would uh, be to say, hey, you know what was a really great draft pick? Aaron Maben. <laughs> uh, obviously the Bills passed on Brian Arakpo, who has gained fame in his Geico commercials. Yes. Uh, passed on Arakpo to select Maven, who ended up basically being a complete bust in Buffalo. Uh, since he's left Buffalo, he's gotten the opportunity uh, with the Jets. And uh, I think he had a sack in the playoffs or something like that. Yeah, you he's know. been okay. He's, he's been, been okay. Been, I mean, yeah. nothing great. He's a, he's a pass rush specialist. But there's a story today on NFL.com. Uh, short story talking about how he's bulked up and that he hopes his uh, playing weight is going to be close to 250 pounds in 2012. He says, having a little bit of extra weight on you, it helps you deal with the ground and the ground and pound of the season and all that kind of stuff. Uh, Maven told this to the New York Post. Definitely gives you a better anchor when you're playing against the run. That was a big goal of mine during the offseason, to become a better run defender as well as to improve my pass rush. Well, obviously, if right now he, he can't even be on the field during running downs. No. So anything he can do to improve that part of his game will help. Well, this, this is kind of not really that big of a story, right? What makes this story really interesting is who he's been training with. Uh, Maven shared his secret with the New York Post saying he's been hanging out with Olympic swimmer Michael Phelps during the offseason. That is uh, Phelps is notorious for downing 12,000 calories a day. Right. Uh, subway ads have proved that. And uh, Maven inhaled roughly half of that number per day, uh, enough to alter his appearance. Um, but really interesting to think that sort of a really strange pairing because Phelps is a Michigan guy. Maven played at Penn State. Okay, yeah. Phelps is a swimmer, white swimmer. Yeah. Uh, Maven is an African-American football player. I don't know where these guys met, why they met, but apparently they've been spending the offseason eating together, working out together, and uh, Phelps has been seen at Baltimore Ravens games in the box the last <laughs> few years. Maybe this year he'll be at, the Jets. at a Jets game cheering on his buddy Aaron Maven, a favorite of all Bills fans. Yeah, that that is interesting. Uh, you think swimming, and you think of like lean muscle. You think football, you think of like bulky beast. Yeah, beast. Yeah. And that's not Michael Phelps. All right, my first thing this week. I also discussed it on the other podcast, but sometimes I feel a story is interesting enough to bring over to both, if relevant. And this is definitely one of those. stories. This is one of them. Brian Banks, if you haven't heard the story yet, um, is really starts off as a really sad, terrible story. A blue chip prospect, a USC. Uh, a guy that agreed to go, or was offered a full ride to USC by then coach Pete Carroll, uh, ends up 16 year old kid in high school making out with a girl in a stairwell. It's innocent enough, puppy love sounding stuff. Hmm. Well, he was accused of rape by this girl, Juanetta, Juanetta Gibson. Uh, and even though they had no evidence, they had a rape kit. Nothing, there was no DNA to put it nicely found in a rape kit. No witnesses. Uh, but his attorney told him he should cop a plea 
because you're gonna go to forty. You're gonna go to jail for forty years if you're found guilty, and if not, if you cop a plea, you can get off lighter. He said no, 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 a hundred times. I'm reading this from an uh, ESPN article by Rick Riley. He said no, 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 a hundred times until finally he reluctantly said yes. Uh, he was sentenced to six years. Ended up serving sixty-two months of that, and. When he got out, he had to wear a GPS bracelet, had to register as a sex offender, all this. The girl that accused him got a $750,000 settlement. Well, the story gets weird when the, gets girl, out of jail. the girl via Facebook sends him a, a friend request. And he's like, what? Like, <laughs> why would she want to be my friend? But Oblivious. She sends him a message and she says, let's let bygones be bygones. Uh, totally, like you said, oblivious to everything. Not realizing how she wrecked this kid's life. But long story short, he agrees to meet her. He agrees to be friends. They meet up. He hires a private investigator to try to get something out of her. And she wasn't shy about spilling the guts. She said she never did or he never raped her. Uh, he She lied, basically, all this and that. And he ended up getting all the charges dropped, uh, getting the rape conviction flipped over. And... Uh, just really a terrible, terrible story. But the silver lining, if there is one, is this kid's name is cleared, and he's going to get his chance finally to play football, or at least to try out. Uh, the four teams have already contacted him about getting getting a job. Uh, the Kansas City Chiefs, Dolphins, Seahawks, and Washington Redskins. So good for them. It's not a charity case necessarily either. He's been working out. He can deadlift 545 pounds. Wow. Box jump 55 inches flat-footed. Broad jump 10-plus feet. And he runs a 4.640. Not bad for a 6'2", 245 guy that was a, a linebacker. You know, Don, when you mentioned this story on the last podcast, I remembered that I had heard a similar story. Unfortunately, I, this isn't the only time this has happened. There's a football player who is property of the New York Jets. His name is Marcus Dixon. He grew up in Georgia. And um, in 2003, he was convicted of aggravated molestation after being acquitted of rape, battery, assault, and false imprisonment. Um, But the thing was, is that Brown was only 16 at the time. So it was like a loophole, some kind of statutory rape loophole, and Dixon ended up being convicted and sent to jail for 10 years. The jury had no idea that what they were convicting of him was going to end up in a 10-year sentence. Um, he it drew support from the NAACP. Uh, the president of the Children's Defense Fund called it a legal lynching. And eventually the Georgia Supreme Court uh, overruled the decision. He was released from prison after serving less than a year. He ended up going on to play college football at Hampton University, um, was signed in 2010, uh, or in 2008 by the Cowboys, spent two years with them, now he's with the Jets, he's had 20 tackles and three and a half sacks in the NFL, one forced fumble, um, but unfortunately we have two of these kind of horrible cases. You know what, it's funny that you said that, not funny, haha, but, uh, I remembered hearing, reading a story back on ESPN a while back, I thought you were going to name the same one, it was a similar story. By a guy named Gennaro Wilson. Uh, I believe he was 17 at the time. And he had consensual oral sex with a girl. And the reason I specify that is because consensual sex between two minors 
carries like a two-month probation or something like that. For whatever reason, there was some strange law where consensual oral sex carried like was like a was a felony. So it wrecked this kid, Gennaro Wilson. It wrecked his life for a while too. Uh, Wilson versus State of Georgia. If you want to look it up, he was eventually freed, but he served two years in prison. Uh, the law was even taken off the books, but they not retroactively. So he still had to serve a bunch of his sentence until they finally decided that, that was ridiculous. Uh, same thing though. Girl never cried rape or anything like that, but I think they, they happened to videotape it or something like that. You know, so I, it got out. I'll still stand behind this statement that I think we have the best legal system in the world, but I think stories like this kind of go to prove that there's flaws in any legal sure. system. You know, so it, it just sometimes common sense should just take over though. In a, in a case such as the one with Gennaro Wilson, who I mean, it was clearly consensual. It's an old antiquated law, uh, and actually, just recently he. Ended up somewhere. Uh, Morehouse. He's now studying at Morehouse. So, good. Because I kind of wanted to follow up, figure out where this kid was. And sounds like he's turning his life around as well. I'm not sure if he had his, if he still has to register as a sex offender. Hopefully not, because I imagine that's terrible. But, uh, yeah, we try not to talk about negative stories too much on here. But going back to Banks, this guy could not have handled it better. I'll read the same quote I read in the other podcast. It says, I know my story makes people angry at first. That's where I was too at first. But where would it have gotten me to stay mad for 10 years? It's like when you're a little kid and you cry about having to clean your room. You can cry and cry, but it doesn't get your room cleaned. That's an awesome attitude to have. Rick Riley ends the article by saying, Brian Banks' room is clean again. His heart is spotless. He's holding on to nothing but his dreams. He lost a full decade of his life, and now all he wants in exchange is an NFL jersey. So... Hopefully some of the, one of those teams, uh, like the Dolphins, who will be featured on Hard Knocks, and I'm sure this kid would be a great story for that. Uh, hopefully he can latch on to a team. And like I said, he's, a, he's still a physically gifted guy. It wouldn't be a charity case by any means. Best of luck to him. Yep. Uh, speaking of the legal system, uh, one NFL player who's going to find more about it is Justin Blackman. Uh, you probably already know Justin Blackman. Uh, was charged with DUI Monday in Stillwater, Oklahoma. Yeah, it's the second, DUI. second time uh, he's been charged um, in this way. Uh, he had uh, what was it? Point two four. Point two four. Which in most states, that's three times the legal limit. It's point zero eight here, right? Yeah. New York. Yeah. Point zero eight. So he'd have blown that out of the water. Well, word came out today. Justin Blackman pleaded not guilty to misdemeanor aggravated DUI on Monday. Uh, if Blackman doesn't change that plea, it appears that he's headed for trial. Uh, Vito Sterlino of the Florida Times Union spoke with the district attorney who's handling the case and said he won't plea bargain a reckless driving charge. Uh, I said that Blackman had a previous DUI arrest. Yeah, but that, 2010 in college. But that wound up being a minor, possession, uh, a minor in possession of beer, not a DUI. Um, if Blackman is convicted, he would face felony charges if he was arrested again for DUI. So it kind of gets complicated. Right. Uh, a guilty plea or a conviction also won't help his chances of avoiding an NFL suspension. Uh, so he's going to have to face the commissioner on this, which is not a great year or the great, a great way to start a career in Jacksonville. Jacksonville traded up uh, to draft this kid. And, geez, it just seems like a team where nothing goes right for them. Right. We don't always uh... – do all of our show prep together, and this is a story that we both kind of had prepared. And looking into it deeper, I found some stats, nothing too recent, but Josh Peter, who actually happens to be a writer in one of the books we featured on the other show, 
Right. Uh, Death to Death the Beast. Death to the Beast, yes. He wrote a Yahoo article in 2009 that said, at the time, at least 73 players on NFL rosters from 2008 had been arrested on charges of DUI. 73 in the league. And I imagine that number hasn't changed much in 2012. Um, another article from CBS Sports, Mike Freeman suggests that players are suspicious of drivers provided by teams. Teams have drivers that you can call for free. But they don't want the team to find out they're drunk or something? Right, because one player source told Mike Freeman when writing that article that teams would bring bring it up during negotiations. Ah. So... Well, then you know what? The NFL needs to do this independently. And my, my the point- NFL needs to step up and... and- or the NFLPA, they need to get independent company to serve sure. these guys, or they need to just pay for a taxi. That's what I said. I said, how how is this better? How is it better to do nothing and then get arrested? Uh, you've got the money. Keep a self or keep a taxi company in your cell phone, or call a limo service if you want to do it in style. They're not all that expensive. I know when we went to Chicago a few years back. They're trying to give them away every night, right? Uh, but. They said part of the problem is players want to show their cars off. Well, show them off on game day uh, at the stadium <laughs> when you're driving in. I mean, who are you showing off for? You're already an NFL player. Everyone in these clubs, you're probably going to exclusive clubs anyway that you really don't need to show off. I- and, you know, Blackman's not the only one. Jerome Felton of the uh, Arrested for DBI at McDonald's. Yep. At a McDonald's drive In the yeah. drive-thru. So... He's not the only one in trouble with Nick this. This is, uh, this is a problem for the league, and the league needs to come up with a solution because it, if an NFL player killed someone because they were driving under the influence, it wouldn't be the first time, by the way. No. and uh, Dante Stallworth. Right. And look, I know it's some irresponsibility on the player's part, but the NFL has got to lose the policy of being able to use it against players. Yeah, let's get to an independent firm to right. take care of this or whatever. All right, my second thing this week, uh, apparently we spoke a little bit too soon on the Pro Bowl. Yes, we did. And it's back despite, I I don't know who is clamoring for this other than the players, and I'm not even sure why they were clamoring for it necessarily. Maybe they like the free trip to Hollywood. uh, Hawaii. Or Hawaii, sorry. This will be the 33rd Pro Bowl in Hawaii in 2013, and basically the NFLPA got it back by saying, we're going to try harder. We're, we're going to actually compete. Yeah, right. So that was their argument, and uh, I don't really even have much more to say about that. The Pro Bowl's terrible. I was so excited when I had heard that the Pro Bowl was going to be going away. You know, yeah. there's just part of me that th- that's great. Name the teams so that the players can still have it for, for contracts, contracts right. and for Hall of Fame cases and things like that. Name the team and then just drop the game. Like I said, I'm okay with the NHL. and NHL. So it's going to be played the, the week before the Super Bowl in Honolulu, correct? Yes. That's where they're at? Well, then they're going to reevaluate it? I guess. But uh, I've said in the past that I don't mind the NBA and the NHL one because they don't try to play the same game. Like the, the NBA, I've seen it degenerate at the end into a slam dunk competition. They have the events leading up to it that are fun. The Pro Bowl really doesn't even have the events leading up to it that are that much fun. I would rather... And like I said, I'm repeating myself if you've listened in the past. I'd rather watch them play kickball or something like that. <laughs> just do something totally goofy because it's embarrassing the way it is. The sport that, just doesn't translate. Last year was fifty nine to forty one. I mean that and you have the best defensive players in the world on the field there, so that doesn't make any sense. Uh they can't blitz. 
Right. Right? I mean, they... They, they have fans so calling no the plays sometimes, which I guess is okay because... The whole thing is a mockery. Yeah, it, it's... It's a mockery, but not to the point where, like, the NBA or NHL is where it's fun. Like, that just comes off feeling like like a skills competition. This just comes off as feeling like a watered-down version of of football. All right. Well, well, at least one more year of it, unfortunately. Yep. All right. uh, My last thing for today. uh, I mentioned a couple weeks ago I was at Bill's rookie camp, and they had a kid in camp. His name was Alex Tanny. And he's best known for being some kind of a the trick, trick shot quarterback. Trick shot yep. quarterback. Uh, he had a video that went viral on YouTube, that which was a compilation of freaky trick throws. Um, and the Bills didn't weren't impressed. Guess uh, so. Ended up cutting him. Well, he's going to get a second chance. It's with the Kansas City Chiefs. Uh, Chiefs announced today they signed free agent quarterback Alex Tanney. Um, he played at Monmouth College and set a NCAA Division three record with 14,249 passing yards and an NCAA mark with 157 touchdowns, only tossed 30 picks in college. Um, obviously, he's best known for the, the homemade shot. film yeah. that he made. Uh, he wings the football through a living room window into a snowy distance, landing in the back of a moving truck. Uh, I have no idea if this stuff is real or some kind of photoshopped or yeah, I camera think trick. Real. I have no I mean, idea. I don't know how many takes some of the stuff took, but eh, whatever. Good good luck to him, I guess. I don't have any problem with him necessarily. Uh, Imagine so, he'll be a practice squad guy or third stringer or something. Didn't work out in Buffalo, but he's going to get a chance in Kansas City, and I figured I'd mention it because we mentioned yeah, people know him. before that Tanny's kicking around. So Yep. All right. My last thing this week. Uh, before, if you had to ask me, it wouldn't take me long to get to – Two of my favorite receivers in the league being Larry Fitzgerald and Anquan Bolden. I don't know why. I've never been a Cardinals fan. They're just easy guys to like. Bolden's tough as nails. Fitzgerald is maybe better than anybody just going up and catching a ball. But uh, they're also both like just cool guys. They both were just overseas in Ethiopia giving their services. And by that I mean not money. They were told they could not give their money away. Uh, they were under strict orders to avoid handouts. So while they were there, they did manual labor, basically. They moved rocks. Wow. They took rocks out of a riverbed so the villagers could start to get a farm going. Uh, Ethiopia is a country of 93.8 million people, has a per capita GDP of $1,100. Wow. And the guy that runs this organization that sent them over there was adamant that they refrain from slipping anyone cash. You can't just give money to random people, he says. It could change the social dynamic. He explains that a gift of 500 burr, which translates to about $30, could cause serious disruption in the community. If a few villagers were suddenly to become rich, many neighbors could resent their fortune and some might shun them if not given a share of the windfall. So you always hear about players giving themselves, scratching checks, and that seems easy enough to do. They're millionaires. But it's cool to hear that these guys went over and actually were in the dirt lifting rocks and moving rocks for these guys to help in any way they could. You know, if someone asked me to name 10 countries off the top of my head that I thought really needed help, I guarantee I would name Ethiopia. It just you know, has that reputation. So for, for these guys people. to be able to find a way to help Ethiopia beyond the obvious of just scratching a check, I give them a lot of credit for that. And we've had some negative stories in three things today. We, we try to shy away from that if we can. But it's great to end with something that's as great as two guys, as high profile as those two guys are, Going out there and just 
getting their hands dirty. Yeah. And check, I really admire that. The article was uh, an ESPN. It's about a week old, so you're going to have to go back to check it. But if you're fans of the guys, in addition to the charity, it's just cool to hear that like they're still buddies. Like they're they give you they give each other crap and stuff like that. And uh, Fitzgerald at one point suggests a wrestling match with Bolden for some reason. I don't I don't want to read the whole article, but Bolden's wife Dion rolls her eyes and says they're like this all the time. So they're just they're just buddies, and it's cool to hear that in a millionaire league that there's people out there doing cool things and just acting like people. All right, that's going to do it for three things today. Uh, we're going to take a break. We're going to come back. We're going to talk ASC South football with Paul Kuharski from ESPN.com. Uh, our next guest is a native of New Jersey and is a graduate of Columbia University. He spent 12 years covering the Tennessee Titans for the Tennessean. In 2008, he joined ESPN, where today he blogs about the AFC South. A warm football nation and sportscasters welcome to Paul Kuharski. What's going on, Paul? Gentlemen, how are you doing? Doing very good. You know, I noticed where you had written a blog kind of saying that the AFC South is the least popular division in the National Football League, but... It seems like a lot of the news, a lot of the things that have been happening in the league the last couple of days, last couple of weeks have been AFC South related. So it's exciting to have you on the show today. And I guess the uh, first place I want to start off, it's the most recent AFC South story, and that's Justin Blackman getting in a little trouble and getting a DUI. Uh, what's been the reaction uh, from the Jaguars on this? Well, Jaguars haven't really reacted uh, outside of saying that they're you know, conscious of what's gone on and, and monitoring things. Um, there's some speculation out today that Blackman might have a press conference this week. That uh, where I'm sure if, if he did does that, he'll uh, he'll be trying to be as apologetic as possible and uh, spinning spinning things in the best direction possible. But uh, you know, he registered a .24 blood alcohol level, which is uh, you know ridiculously high. Um, it's his second driving uh, under the influence uh, arrest. He had another at Oklahoma State, after which he said a lot of the right things. So it's disappointing that uh, he would make such a bad choice a second time. Um, and and I can understand uh, fans in Jacksonville being wary. Uh, at the same time, you know, you know, it's not a second chance. Obviously, now it would be a third chance. But Maybe it's a wake-up moment for him. Uh, he he get things, gets things in order and uh, you know disappears from the news outside of uh, football news where the Jaguars expect he can be an impact guy for Blaine Gabbert to help uh, transform uh, Mike Malarkey's offense into something far more threatening than, than the one Jack Del Rio left behind and, uh, and move on. So, you know, hopefully for him this is... Uh, you know, not a sign of, of bad decisions to come, but kind of the end of uh, a chapter where maybe he's been less than smart to be polite. You know, you mentioned Gabbert, and it seems like a lot of people are really quick to throwing the dirt on Gabbert. On Gabbert. I, 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 I want to see him more. I don't know about you. I mean, he was the 10th pick in the draft, and it seems like people are really quick to give up on this guy. What, what, are, you, what are your thoughts on, on Gabbert and him potentially bouncing back this season? 
Yeah, I rode extensively uh, two weeks ago when I visited Jaguars for three practices uh, and visited with with Gabbard and his coaches. Uh, you know, and I was saying this before then, but you, you, you're not giving up on the tenth pick in the draft after one season. Certainly, after a season where uh, you know your team was sold, your coach was fired, you didn't have uh, off-season OTAs uh, and mini camps and the like. So, um, you know, it's a fresh start for him. A fresh start for Mike Malarkey and his staff. They were hired largely uh, because of their experience. Malarkey, Bob Bratkowski, the quarterback, uh, the offensive coordinator, excuse me, and Greg Olson, the quarterback coach, uh, hired to, to make something of Gabbert, who is showing them progress to hear them tell the story. Um, you know, I think four games into the season would be too soon, even if he's not playing well. Uh, but certainly has to show something this year. I think if he can be an average NFL quarterback, which is a big jump from where he was last year, uh, that they could be a good football team. they got a very good defense, obviously a very good running game, even if Maurice Jones-Drew might be starting to slow a little bit. And, um, you know, average quarterback play uh, from an offense that adds Blackman and, and Lawrence Robinson, uh, the veteran free agent wide receiver acquisition, uh, could Cowboys, be enough, yeah. you know, that, that they're, that second place in, uh, I think Houston wins the division, but second place uh, to me is wide open between the Titans and the Jaguars. Do you think things get uh, out of hand between the Jaguars and, and Jones Drew? Uh, he skipped some OTA practices because of his unhappiness with the contract. You think they get that taken care of, or you think that's something that could linger on? I don't see what leverage he has. I mean, uh, he's got a couple years left on it. Uh, I, I understand that. Uh, the time to get more money would be now uh, based on his age because when this contract's up, he's going to be uh, at or close to 30, and 30-year-old running backs don't get big money. But when he got this contract, it qualified as big running back money. Uh, there's less and less big money going to running backs, and uh, if he doesn't show up, they'll hand the ball to Rashad Jennings uh, until he does. Uh, he'll be there. He's not going to miss paychecks from a pretty good salary and sacrifice uh, a great deal of his professional reputation by not being there. And uh, yeah, and I can understand him missing voluntary stuff. I do think uh, it would have been a nice symbolic gesture to at least show up the first day of Mike Malarkey's offseason um, or, or to have called Malarkey in a way that he didn't to say he wasn't going to be there rather than kind of being passive-aggressive in, uh, in making it known that he, he wants a new contract. He's not getting one. Uh, you mentioned the Texans and how they're the favorite to win the division this year. They had a really interesting season last year, getting to the playoffs for the first time, despite all the injuries that they had, especially a quarterback. Uh, is this still Matt Schaub's team? I mean, I, I think they have the most talent in the division by a good margin. Um, I really do. Uh, defensively, I'm in Houston now. I just uh, saw the first of three OTA practices that I'll see this week today. Uh, spent some time with Wade Phillips and Brian Cushing, um, JJ Watt. Um, you know, defensively, they they have a good player at every position, and uh, and a lot of those positions, a good player behind him. Um, you know, I, my only real concern with them, for presuming that Matt Schaub is healthy, and there's no reason to believe he's not going to be for the start of the season. The right side of their offensive line is being rebuilt. That's a little bit of a question mark. Kareem Jackson, the cornerback, is not, you know, is the weak link on the defense, though he's gotten better. 
he concerns me a little bit. Owen Daniels' health is a question mark to me, and they need him to be good because um, their third, fourth, and fifth receivers don't have any experience. But uh, even given those holes, which are, those, those are not big holes for an NFL team, and in this division, uh, you know, they're, they're nothing compared to what other teams are dealing with at this stage. So uh, I do think the schedule's tougher, obviously. Uh, it's tougher for the whole division because they're playing the NFC North, which I think is, uh, is a difficult draw. But, uh, you know, it's going to take a major upset for Houston not to win the division for a second time in a row. If Schaub gets off to a slow start first couple of weeks, are, is there going to be a, a, a lot of people calling to, to see what T.J. Yates can do based on how he finished the season? I can't imagine. Uh, I, I mean, uh, it would be silly from my vantage point. Matt, Matt Schaub has the uh, complete and utter confidence of Gary Kubiak. And if you're a Houston Texans fan, I, I think you're crazy not to defer to Gary Kubiak, who's who, who knows how to develop and monitor quarterbacks. And for him to have gotten what he got out of T.J. Yates last year, considering Yates was uh, a rookie who wasn't uh, you know, an official participant at the scouting combine or was one of the last participants, he was a, a combine arm, as they call him, uh, who threw all the passes for, for you know, linebackers and defensive backs to intercept in their drills. Um, you know, to, get, to get that kind of production out of him, to hold the team together with that guy playing, uh, to win a playoff game with him, uh, when you considered him a developmental guy and he was your third stringer at the beginning of the season, is a testament to Kubiak and Kubiak's staff. And those are the guys who love Matt Schaub. And so, uh, you know, I fully expect uh, Schaub to be there. I think he gets a little bit of a bum rap as an injury prone guy, though, uh, you know, I, I can understand how you can make that case. But he, uh, before, you know, suffering a serious foot injury at the hands of Albert Hainsworth this last season, played two straight seasons without any major injury issues and, and was very effective. It's an Arian Foster-centric offense more so now, uh, and, and Matt Schaub can very capably run what they want to do very effectively. You wrote about how the Titans have somewhat mediocre run blocking, and we saw Chris Johnson really struggle last season. Do you do you expect to see Chris Johnson kind of return to the form he had a few years ago? Do you think he's more the running back we saw last year, or do you think he's somewhere in the middle? Well, he's not going to run for 2,000 yards. I mean, <clears throat> the Titans were out of it the year that he ran for 2,000 yards, and so they were able to, to be unbalanced and to force-feed him. And, you know, there was a little bit of, uh, I, I don't know if gimmick's the right word, but it was it was... It's artificial to give a guy the ball enough to make that happen. Um, and that's what Jeff Fisher did that year. Um, listen, Chris Johnson is a proud guy. Uh, Chris Johnson loved, absolutely loved walking through airports and having people stop him and tell him how he won them his fantasy league and how, uh, you know, they thought he could run with Usain Bolt. Chris Johnson's not hearing those things when he walks through airports now. He's hearing how he lost people fantasy leagues. I think, you know, that sort of thing will serve to motivate him. Um, I think they've got an off-season where he's in Nashville with the team, going over the film of last year and breaking down what went wrong, and he can fix his part in it. Um, but I did think the Titans are turning into a, a more modern offense, which means... 
maybe throw first. And, uh, you know, they drafted Kendall Wright. Uh, they've got the best stable of weapons they've had since they've been in Tennessee with uh, Kenny Britt, if he's healthy, Nate Washington, Kendall Wright, Jared Cook, um, even Damian Williams and Lavelle Hawkins. Um, so I think that they will be able to throw the ball better, whether it's Matt Hasselbeck or Jake Locker, the starting quarterback, and that, that if that eases some of the concentration on Chris Johnson, that he'll be able uh, to run better. I don't think they're going to be a great run-blocking team up the middle based on uh, if Eugene Omano and Leroy Harris are still the center and one of the guards. Um, but they're very, very good. Uh, and, and let's say Michael Roos and David Stewart, the outside guys, and Steve Hutchinson, the new guard, can run block just fine. I think uh, it's going to be, though, a pass-protection-oriented line. And maybe that's okay is what I wrote. You know, they, they only allowed 22 sacks last year. If they could keep Hasselbeck or Locker upright and let them throw to all those guys and just be a so-so run-blocking line, that'll be all right. They need to be better than 31st-ranked run team. Two quick things to finish up. Uh, the Colts are clearly rebuilding. You think they're doing how, – how would you grade the rebuilding process so far through the draft and, and what they've done as far as signing players or not re-signing players? you think they're headed in the right direction? Who's that? The Colts? Yes. Um, listen, the Colts have so many needs coming off of what they did in terms of changing your regime, changing schemes and on both sides of the ball and kind of cleaning house of expensive aging guys. Um, and that they're very limited in, in terms of being able to address everything. They went offense heavy in the draft, which I think is a sensible thing to do when you consider um, that you're trying to get Andrew Luck off to a reasonably good start to assure that he's uh, not going to be getting hammered for dropping back you know, too often or too deep uh, or without sufficient protection. So, um, you know, based on very little except the names that, that have been put on paper uh, as part of their roster, I think they, they've gotten off to a nice start. They have some significant holes. Uh, you know, some questions at inside linebacker, some questions about how Freeney and Mathis are going to play at outside linebacker. Um, though, you know, I think Chuck Pagano is a smart coach. He's not going to take away what those guys do well. Um, I think, um, you know, secondary's got questions. I'm not sure about uh, Zibikowski as the second safety. Uh, the cornerbacks are not very good uh, beyond Gerard Powers, who's injury prone. So, uh you know, if I'm playing the Colts, I'm trying to get them a nickel and dime as often as possible, overloading the wide receivers and throwing it all day long. Um, but, you know, things are going to be on the upswing, and I think if they're better in December than they were in September, it'll be an achievement uh, that'll show them going in the right direction. And next year, they'll be on the same financial footing as the rest of the league with money to spend in free agency in a way we've probably never seen them do. Uh, and with another draft class, probably picking relatively high. So uh, I, I think next year already they could be a team, you know, that could uh, surprise a bit. Uh, Paul writes uh, on ESPN.com, the NFL Blog Network, on the AFC South. For more information about that, you can follow him on Twitter at ESPN underscore AFC South. Last thing, we'll get you out of here on this. As we get closer to training camp, what is the number one AFC South story that you're going to be following and interested in seeing develop? Well, 
Um, you know, it's hard if you have a uh, out-and-out quarterback competition for that not to be the biggest training camp story that you have, and that's what we'll see in Tennessee with uh, Matt Hasselbeck trying to hold off Jake Locker. Um, and I think, you know, it's an interesting interesting compare and contrast there when you think, uh, you know, I think Hasselbeck is going to throw more accurately for sure. He was uh, 10 points better than Locker and Locker's limited play last year. Um, you know, so is the is the advantage in completion percentage enough to to slant things in Hasselbeck's favor, or the plays that Locker can make with his feet uh, enough to offset maybe some some incompletions? I think that's going to be a major factor in that battle. Uh, you know, and, and then there are two sides to say, hey, you know, it's going to be the kids ultimately. You might as well go with him. Then the other side, you could say, hey, they start with four very difficult games. You'd be crazy not to start the veteran. And then on top of all of that, you know, Mike Munchak signed a three-year contract. He's going into the second year of that. Um, you know, he, he probably feels, uh, you know, he's got a team he can win with, and he, he's got to, uh, no matter which quarterback it is, put the one out there that's going to get him into the playoffs, uh, and a playoff trip will get him and his, his uh, assistant coaches contract extensions and extend their term instead of creating any kind of doubt heading into that third year. Thanks for doing this, Paul. Good to be with you guys. Thanks. Th- thank you. All right, I want to thank Paul Kuharski for being on the show. You know, he's got a great name, like – if he was an NBA player, the the guy would love announcing him after a basket. Koo <laughs> Harsky, you know, like that right. kind of thing. But uh, thanks to Paul for being on the show and talking uh, ASC South Football with us. I think next week we're going to do a fantasy show. We've been thinking about it since really we started this podcast. When was the right time to talk fantasy football? And we noticed on the website as we were looking for our article to talk about in this segment that it seems like the consciousness of the football nation as a whole seems to be focusing a little bit more and more on fantasy football. So I think we're going to do a, a fantasy football show next week. And then after that, in the time between then and the start of the season, start of camp or right, right. whatever, I think we're going to see how many of those bloggers we can get to come on with us. Right, we'll go division by division. Yeah, it just seemed like it was. we got some really interesting information about the specific divisions, and it gets a chance for people who are fans of different teams to try us out. so Sure, we kind of admittedly started with a division that maybe isn't the... It hasn't been the greatest other than the Colts, but the more we talk to uh, Paul Paul and I thought, thought he was great. It, I thought he had great information. Yeah, it, it's an interesting division. It may not be the strongest historically or anything, but it, it's an interesting division with luck and the quarterback battle in Tennessee. So we liked it. We're going to keep doing it. Uh, if you got questions out there for your specific team and we get your blogger on, email us or shoot us a, a Twitter message and we'll see if we can get your question to your blogger. Yeah, if you want to email us, it's sportscasters at gmail.com. If you want to follow us on Twitter, you can at sports underscore casters. You can also follow Football Nation on Twitter. They're at Fball Nation. Um, don't forget to check out our other podcast, www.sports-casters.com, featuring Jeff Perlman, Albert Chen, and Matt Wrights. Um And I guess that leads us to this week on Football Nation. What are you reading, Don? Well, 
I re- there's a lot to read on there as always, and uh, it seems like site wide they're kind of doing a thing with uh, the most overrated and underrated players on each team, and then just through the most indispensable players. You see that a lot on all the different teams. If I had to pick one article, kind of going in a different direction, is an article by William Cornelison, if I'm saying that right, Cornelison, uh, about how the NFL should have drafted a, a draft lottery. And It's an interesting idea. It, it's an interesting idea. Um, one of the other contributors' comments right after that, he's not a fan of it because he thinks the worst team should get, deserves the first pick. But there's been times in the past where teams in the NFL have been accused of maybe not tanking games, but maybe not trying as hard as they necessarily needed to. I'm reminded of a game, I think, between San Francisco and uh, who would have drafted second that year. Was it Houston, maybe? Uh, where one of the team in like a tie game pulled their starting quarterback at the end of the first half. So it's an interesting thought. Uh, NBA gets beat up sometimes because of the fixes that they people think are in. I hate their... the NHL lottery though because like there's still only a certain pe- amount of teams that can get the first pick. Well, I think if you're gonna do a lottery, anyone who doesn't make the playoffs should have a slim chance to move the all the okay. way off. I was gonna say you don't want the Super Bowl. Just the non-playoff teams, I think, should be in the lottery. I see. Sure. That, that that's what I would like to see. If the NFL adopted a lottery and they said, "Hey, Steve, why don't you come up with the the system?" I'd say you start with the team with the worst record and give them the best odds all the way to the team that just missed the playoffs with the worst odds, and anyone would have a chance to move up, but it would be slim. I also think if you're going to do a lottery, do you think it should just be the one pick? Or do you think you should go through all the teams? Yeah, go through them all. Because in the NHL, that's another thing they do. They they make one pick, I believe, or only one team moves positions in the NHL. I know the NHL, I, I couldn't even explain it. It's really goofy. Like if a team moves up, the only other teams that would move are teams that would have been affected by it, like if they got bumped down. But, yeah, it's strange. It's an interesting conversation, and that's why uh, I pointed out that article this week. All right. I have uh, an article by uh, Ryan Bergman, contributor. He's got 18 articles under his belt, and he points out the top ten favorites for the 2012 Heisman Trophy. I love the Heisman Trophy. Uh, It's one of the great reasons to watch college football, to follow along. He's got some really interesting candidates. Number one is Monte Bell, running back for Wisconsin, who was a finalist for the trophy last year. Uh, Geno Smith, quarterback from West Virginia, is number two. And Matt Barkley, who I've heard most people kind of say was their favorite, is number three. Also, Marcus Latimer from South Carolina is four. So an interesting list. I was disappointed that uh, Landry Jones didn't make the top 10 from Oklahoma, but he had a bad year last year, so... If he's going to play himself into the Heisman Trophy discussion, he's going to have to do it on the field. So I understand why he didn't make the list, but that's by Ryan Bergman. Uh, 2010 Heisman favorites, the top 10. He's got a couple players from UFC. Uh, USC, excuse me. USC could be a really, really tough team this year. It'll be interesting to see. Uh, but that's going to do it for the program today. I want to thank uh, Paul Kuharski for being on the show. And uh, reminder: next week we're going to do some we're going to do some fantasy football. So things could be a little bit different next week as we focus uh, from the on the field game to the off the field game that we all love to play, and that's fantasy football. So, Don, let's go to California. <laughs>